Hang on. Hang on. Halt. Welcome to This Might Be A Podcast, the song-by-song podcast about the greatest band of all time. I'm your host, Greg Simpson, and I'm here with a new guest, Scott Greenberg, to talk about the song Mainstream USA, uh, I guess officially first heard on the then compilation. So here we go. Kids are rolling somewhere this morning. Was a man with a book beside me And he tapped out rhythms with a smile on his face And the tip of his That he found on the floor And these are the words that he told the fellow next door Mainstream USA I flipped that guy the bird Mainstream USA That's all I want to say Mainstream Scott, hello. Hello, Greg. How are you? I am quite well. Uh, now, I first, I, I think I first became aware of you when you tagged me in a tweet. I don't know. Were we all already following each other then? Maybe we were. I believe I was following you. I don't know if we had interacted, though, before then. Yeah, you you tweeted at me about a an episode of a podcast you were doing called uh, the Seriously Funny Music Podcast. Did I get that right? That's right. I got that right, didn't I? Yes. Uh, that you had done about They Might Be Giants. And it turned out that not only had you done a podcast, but you have done uh, had done a master's thesis about uh, quote unquote comedy music and a accompanying album uh about it as well so this whole like uh media empire about <laughs> i might be obsessed yeah <laughs> uh and, and and i i had previously been um i'm friends with uh this girl rachel jones who is um putting they might be giants into her um phd dissertation but she is still working on that so you you beat her to the punch and being the, the first person to have an academic <laughs> paper including they might be giants on on the podcast and and uh yeah your master's thesis was called the apparent bias against comedic popular music and you just did this is just like a year ago you did this right yeah i finished it up and you completed it right yeah i finished it up in 2021 and the album that went along with that that's all kind of part of the same project it's the same title also and then this new podcast the seriously funny music podcast is it's mostly an adaptation of the thesis because i knew no one would want to read my you know 80 page academic paper so i said how can i present this in a way that is palatable to normal people yeah that was a good idea yeah i was over in spain when i first listened to it um and 
you've got uh, episodes about Childish Gambino, Weird Al, uh, Tenacious D. Who am I missing? Uh, Frank Zappa, and they might be Giants. Well, of course, yeah. That's the I that's mean, the five. Yeah, <laughs> of course they might be Giants. Yes, that's, that's the Frank Zappa one I was missing. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, let's get into that. I found the episode very uh, compelling because this is something that they might be Giants back in the day were battling, especially like there's a famous story. Um, that you mentioned on your podcast about them not wanting to be photographed, like that no one could be photographed with Weird Al right. backstage because Weird Al was so obviously a comedic musician and they didn't want to be lumped in with comedy music. Uh, so it's been something they've been fighting a while and something that, that fans kind of, um, I, I guess we don't react as strongly against it these days, but we, you know, we, we, we cringe at words like uh, quirky and 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 stuff like that and zany and all those kind of things yeah um so it's definitely something that um really resonated with me and uh i also enjoyed the the weird al episode a lot too do you, do you want to go into a little bit more uh in depth like a little um i guess like your abstract and your uh i don't know hypotheses what do you what do you call it yeah i don't know <laughs> i'm not i'm not an academic my wife is but i'm not um <laughs> so yeah so the way that I structure the show is that every episode is about one band or one artist and then also some specific sort of academic concept. So uh, in the case of They Might Be Giants, I talk about They Might Be Giants and novelty music because mm-hmm. they I don't think that they make novelty music, but I think that they are frequently accused of making novelty music and especially early in their career, their first few albums, a lot of their reviewers would kind of hint at what they're doing. This isn't serious. These are jokes. These are, you know, uh, they're making fun of other songs or they're kind of goofing off and they're not serious about art, which I think is like the furthest thing from the truth in their minds. Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned the Weird Al thing, which is like you could tell that they were self-conscious about that at some point. Uh, And they, I think they've overcome that by now. Uh, and also, I think also mixed into this, there was this idea that they were maybe making children's music. Like, I don't know if right. you ever, if you got that impression from reviewers that they kind of didn't know what to make of this. They were like, what are these songs? They kind of sound like something, you know, little kids would listen to. Uh, and then they had these weird associations with like Nickelodeon and Tiny Tunes. And it was like, yeah. oh, is this kids music? So they lived in this really murky area where they they weren't a comedy band, but they use humor. They obviously are funny and have an appreciation for those things. But that can be a dangerous area, like artistically. Yeah, I I think a lot of reviewers don't didn't realize how dark a lot of the comedy is. I mean, that's one thing I think that sets it apart is it isn't like necessarily goofy i mean i guess that could be a word that could be thrown around too but like it's definitely dark humor like it's in like intellectual humor so i i I feel like the reviewers you say this they're just not i mean they're obviously they're not giving it enough time or really paying attention they're not looking at the lyrics they're absolutely not paying attention and i think that that's a that's a very fair point um but there's this um there's this quote that I found when I was doing all this research uh, that Flansburg said that basically 
reviewers think you have to be either a really serious band or like a fun party band. And there's no in between. So when you're in between, they just their brains can't process it and they just right. they just go, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. And that's kind of like <laughs> I think the exact story of they might be giants is that Mm -hmm. they have this really serious heavy stuff in some of their songs they have some of these silly songs or there's kind of like a combo where like it sounds silly but inside like the lyrics are actually going you're about to die the world is going to explode and everyone you love hates you (laughs) right and i'm so depressed right and they're great (laughs) we love that yeah yeah, I, I do think, I think you mentioned this in your episode as well, uh, the duo era, I think um, they had to fight back against it, especially because of the use of drum machines and keyboards and stuff like that in a way that I think a lot of people saw as almost childlike. But but then there, there are other songs that in their early days that are so, so outright bizarre, you know, Chess Piece Face or whatever like that, you couldn't possibly think... Our kids' music. I mean, I just I don't see how. I mean, I mean, it's like as if reviewers were just like kind of skipping through the album uh, without even like checking out all the tracks. Yeah, that's fair. Um, the other thing that I think that I the other thing that I talk about a lot is how they're so eclectic, and mm-hmm. that has sort of worked against them from a critical standpoint. Uh, but I think a lot of fans appreciate that. But again, it's sort of like this sorting thing. Like they don't fit exactly into a box. You can't go, well, they're they're a rock band. They sound like Elvis Costello. They do sometimes, actually, you know, but mm-hmm. then they have all these other songs that sound nothing like that. So mm-hmm. I think there's there's a real confusion about what to make of that. Um they're not easy. They're not easily categorized. And as a guy who has written a lot of text reviews, it's always hard to fight that. Uh, I, I mean, people do like readers do like a shorthand guide, like kind of like that recommended if you like kind of thing, where um, you can plunk down someone's name and they'll be like, "Oh, I like them." You know, I'll check it out. Whereas, like, yeah, with they might be giants, I feel like you could like plunk down like twenty names. You're like, well, some songs sound like this, some songs sound like this person. Sometimes, right? They like, sound like this I'm, person. I'm sure you've had to try to you know make playlists for people to be like, oh, you want to get into they might be giants, and it ends up being an enormous list of songs because you're like, well, you really to get a full understanding of the band, yeah. you have to. And I think that could be daunting, and I think people are more uh, probably are more uh, apt to just skip it. You know, to, to listen to like one or right. two and be like, I don't get it. I don't care. It's not for me. And then mm-hmm. not really go any further. I kind of, another band that I considered writing about uh, was Ween. Because sure. I thought they kind of fit a lot of the same uh, values and ideals that I talk about with They Might Be Giants. And similarly, their music is kind of all over the place. Like they have an yeah. album of country songs. and Right. And if someone just heard that and didn't like it, they wouldn't even bother checking out the rest that is definitely not country. Right, exactly. So it's like you have to really dig pretty deep, pretty wide, maybe, uh, to get a full sense of what's going on. And that can be a lot to ask for some people. You know, I, I understand when people don't want to do that. I, you know, I get it. But also don't then also project like a value judgment. Like you don't understand it. So you can't just be like, mm-hmm. no, 
or I think this is a joke <laughs> because I don't understand it. Yeah, it, it's the kind of thing that's that's tough in rock or pop realms where you kind of expect a band to be easily understood. Whereas, like, if they were like, you know, 20th century classical music, like, oh, this is so weird. I, it really makes you think. But you you don't you know people aren't like well this is a, you know it's a rock band and I don't want to have to think about it but I mean what I mean the best art is something that you you know you don't just get it immediately I think a lot of the time right if you're looking at a painting or whatever else you can't just like walk by glance at it and be like oh cool and then move on yeah like something that makes you stop and actually stare at it for a while and think about it that's what's gonna you know make more of a lasting impression and I think people just aren't willing to give it the time or the brain power to to understand it. Yeah. Without jumping like too much into the topic of this episode, I did write like a bunch of notes about how in the song we're going to talk about <laughs> and just in general they might be giants. Like they do really fit into this like avant-garde art yeah. music. Like they very much could you could look at them in that way and understand their songs in that way and appreciate them differently yeah it, it, it's one of those things where people ask you know if they ask what genre they are it's it's almost impossible to say like well you know they'll they'll just they just use the tag like indie rock or whatever which definitely makes sense i mean other than technically being on a major label for four albums you know they are yeah. an independent rock band for the most part on small indie labels but i mean really i think you know yeah art rock or art pop really fits it a lot better because putting that art in front of it kind of gives the person this, you know, this kind of fair warning. Okay. This is going to be a, a little bit cerebral perhaps. Right. Hang on. Yeah. Hang on tight. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, we can go ahead and get right into it. I mean, I'm sure we'll be touching on a lot of these topics as we go through the song. Cause this is, I mean, definitely one of their, more artistically difficult songs, <laughs> I would say. That's a fair they way to put have it. Quite a few of those. Uh, so, Mainstream USA, uh, there is a dial a song version which may or may not be the same recording. I'm kind of confused by it because, I mean, when you go, when you're on the wiki, it does not have anything in the chronology tab. But the, the dial a song version that I had, I was just. You know, anytime I'm starting an episode, the first place to go is just search that song title in my iTunes and just see all the different versions of something that pops up. And I listened to the this dial song version that I have, and the mix does sound different. I'm going to drop that in right here. <laughs> Doesn't it seem like the, uh, like, it's almost like what what came out on the then compilation, what are the backups kind of come to the foreground, These this kind of, like, overlapping of lyrics, they kind of flip where they are in the mix, this, uh... Yeah, and it's also, but it's also shorter. 
The other version is a little bit longer. I think they repeat the chorus at the end. Yeah. So it's hard to tell mm-hmm. if it's a different recording and they just or if they just kind of edited it. Right. The then one is shorter, right? Uh the one What's you sent me then? is shorter. So okay, I think the, you sent me the dial, the dial song. That one's shorter. Yeah, I don't know if there's another one out there cuz there is uh on yeah, in the trivia there's a little dot there that says some dial song re- recordings are extended and have a spoken word repeat of the first verse and another repeat of the chorus. This one doesn't have that, so I don't I, I was not able to find this one with a spoken word repeat of the first verse. Interesting. Yeah. It's it's so hard to dig up some of this and a, there are a lot of people that have uploaded stuff to YouTube but then like there's just so many uh uploads of like the same thing or like you can't tell which one is uh you know you're sorting through all of these fan uploads to try to find the one you're looking for and it's just it all becomes a blur and you can't figure out which one you right. actually need yeah that the intro is so bizarre on this song and i think when i was listening to this you know when i first got then in high school i I don't know. I think at that point already I had been prepped to to not think of them as weird. And I don't think I really even thought anything of it at the time. But like the the, the way that they that Flansburg kind of presents these lyrics and in, 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 at the beginning is just so weird, almost like a um, crackly voiced teenager <laughs> like especially the backups can i have this last dance my darling yeah can i have this last dance with you <laughs> but i had already been prepped by like the weird voices they had done on the the things i had heard previously that it didn't really even occur to me how weird it was until i focused in on it i think it, as i was older <laughs> right if you just listen to this as part of like a compilation of that era of songs. It's just another one of their songs. You're like, oh yeah, this is one of the weirder ones, but it doesn't stand out as so much weirder than, you know, like the big, big whoredom or like, I don't know, maybe even like weep day. Like that's a little bit more accessible, right. but still it's like pretty weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So this one on the then compilation, um, is let's see it's on it's on disc one but it's way near the end track 30 mainstream usa it's sandwiched between uh now that i have everything um which is the song where the drum machine and everything else are in different time signatures and then fake out in buenos aires which also has oh, very yeah. weird kind of spoken and backup vocals <laughs> going back and forth um so it is definitely sandwiched into this uh the the, the bizarre portion of the the compilation yeah mr claw is is a couple tracks before that too um, i'm deaf i was not long when i was uh, when i was thinking about this song when we were when i was preparing for this episode i realized i think the first they might be giants album i had was the then compilation which oh, yeah? seems like the worst way to get someone into the band uh in retrospect but it seemed to work yeah, out i've had an, i can't remember what guest i had said they got miscellaneous t first yeah, which isn't the weirdest of the weird, but it is it is fairly odd songs on that one, and making it kind of through the gauntlet of the weird songs and and still being like, yeah, I'm into this, then kind of you know, it's almost like when you're warming up to go up to the to the plate, 
you know, you got the donut on your bat and you're swinging. It's just like the bat's heavier. Right. So then when you take the donut off, you're like, woo, this thing's, you know, <laughs> then you get to the pop songs. Right after that, like, flood is oh, a man. breeze. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you mentioned the Big Big Hordom. Mainstream USA and the Big Big Hordom both feature John Linnell on guitar, <laughs> <laughs> which is just hilarious to me. <laughs> I don't even know it, it listed in the trivia as freehand acoustic guitar now what does that mean it's just bashing on the fretboards I don't even know what that phrase would mean I don't know why but I always got the image of him playing freehand meaning like upside down like putting your hand on top of the fretboard instead of under it but I don't his, know why his, <laughs> his fingers coming from up above the neck yeah like I, yeah I don't, you know, let's just put a freehand guitar into Google and see if what what Google tells us here. Mm, <laughs> I'm guessing it's no. an original terminology. Yeah, yeah, it's not coming up with anything as far as the playing style goes. But yeah, I, I mean, John Linnell was never had any dreams of becoming a guitar player. I think this was just another one of their little. Um, like their little studio tricks they do to like make it harder on themselves to make a song come out cleanly. Um, kind of like on uh, when Flans is doing the the Daily Home Astrology report where they're like blasting mm-hmm. him back into his ears so he can't even hear himself speaking to make it come out oddly. I think it's another one of those things where they're just like, we can make the song even weirder by playing instruments we're not good at. <laughs> right. And that, I mean, to me, like, that very much, I mean, sounds like, uh, you know, like techniques of modern art, like contemporary classical music and, like, I don't know, people like John Cage or, you know, uh-huh. uh, Steve Reich or something. Like, just intentionally adding in difficulties and confining themselves in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I found that that's kind of fun too. Like placing limitations on yourself that make it kind of uncomfortable for you um, can help you branch out creatively in other ways. Like find the solutions to that problem that you've imposed upon yourself. Yeah, uh, can come up with some interesting results. Like one thing, not not as weird for me, but would be like uh, like recording a song that doesn't have any guitar in it because like I'm just so you know dependent usually on throwing layer after layer of guitars on the songs that I write um, yeah. or, or or writing a song on keyboard as opposed to guitar, like approaching it from something that uh, is, you know, out of your usual wheelhouse, I suppose. Um, but yeah, even, even the band refers to it as weird. Um, so it only has this little bit on the wiki about um, Flans were calling it weird in an issue of the Indianapolis Star. So 1987, April 8th, 1987, I'm like, the Indianapolis Star? I mean, I have lived in Indiana for quite a while, and I'm like, I got I got to check this out. So I actually went, and uh, I found it on this, like, vint, you know, newspaper archive website, and I signed up for their free trial just to look at this one thing nice. and uh, and screen grab that for you. But what I found especially interesting, and I'm glad that I looked at the whole thing, they were promoting a show at Second Story in Bloomington. And I used to live in Bloomington, and I have I played a show at Second Story before 
that whole block got gentrified and it turned into part of a, a, a shopping little shopping district mm. thing. So I've actually played at that venue. Cool. Second story. And and let's see. So the whole quote was, let's see. So they're talking about Dial-A-Song, which at the time was a rather novel thing, where now today they still get asked about Dial-A-Song, and it's extremely annoying to hear. Uh, <laughs> so talking about Dial-A-Song, he says, um, for example, on Monday, we heard Mainstream USA, a scratchy ditty that worked in the We Are the World chorus. And then he says, yeah, that's a weird song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they know. I could, but you could just, I could just as easily imagine them try to defend it, like in a completely unpretentious way. Be like, yeah, mainstream USA. It's a very important song. We talk about super, you know, essential topics like Boogaloo. <laughs> yeah, so we got two songs to talk about here. We got We Are the World and we've got Back Off Boogaloo by Ringo Starr. Um, so We Are the World, let's see, that came out in 85. This song, I mean, it wasn't properly released until 97, but yeah, it sounds by, yeah, in 87, it was on the Dial-A-Song. So We Are the World was a relatively fresh reference. An extremely cheesy song, but one that just, you know, completely took over. I mean, that, that, that hit number one, right, I believe. I think so. What are, what are your thoughts on We Are the World? <laughs> uh, well, I did rewatch the video this week, yeah. and it is very funny to watch it now. Um, <laughs> yeah. It feels very... I mean, obviously, it's for charity, which is great, and I hope they raised a lot of money and helped people, but it feels very like superstars trying to outdo one another and trying to like who are just like super full mm. of themselves and it's just like we are going to save the earth it's just this big <laughs> ego fest so i always feel like yeah. the, the reference to we are the world is like anytime you know people talk about it it's sort of in like a oh yeah we are the world like those guys yeah roll, roll your eyes uh yeah and, and it's immediately chased by the back off boogaloo. So the we are the world back off boogaloo is right uh, in a row with the lead and the backup vocal. Now back off boogaloo. I'll uh, I'll drop a little bit of that in here because this was not a song that I, I I don't think I had ever heard this song before. So this was a song that um, Ringo originally put out in 1972. 
So a little bit of an older song. It was a single, and he later released it on a, a proper album because it wasn't even on an album. It was uh, just just a single. Uh, you like Back Off Boogaloo? <laughs> I kind of really liked it. Uh, yeah. it's. I really like when a song has like 10 words to it, you know, and they can right. still manage to sustain it for like four minutes. It's just like a really grooving drum beat and slide guitar and just just they're just partying. Yeah, and Ringo says he got the word boogaloo from Mark Bolin of T-Rex, hmm. which it it, it's, it just says that, um, yeah, they were having dinner at Star's Home in London in 1971, and Bolin had used the word boogaloo so often that it stuck in Star's mind, and then the beat and melody to the song came to him overnight, is 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 a quote that... that sure. Um, yeah, that... Uh, <laughs> I, I want to know what he, like, what was the original context for Mark Bolin to be saying Boogaloo? What was he calling Boogaloo? I don't really I'm guessing they were on understand drugs. what that would mean. Probably, <laughs> probably a safe assumption. So I was curious if, um, so there's that, the, the second version of Back Off Boogaloo that came out mm-hmm. closer to mainstream USA. That one came out in the 80s. So I was kind of curious, do you think they were referencing that or the original? That's a good point. Yeah, it was, it was re-released in 1981, um, and I think that did push it more into the public consciousness. More, it was a little more cleanly recorded, and, and like I said, it was on a proper album and not just a single. Um, There's also because in, yeah, in that mean, in yeah. that second version, there is like a lot of these vocals on top of vocals, like these interwoven lines, which like to me, I'm like, oh, that's what they do in mainstream USA. There's like these uh, two parts yeah. on top of each other. It's much more coherent in uh, Back Off Boogaloo. They have like a Beatles medley, you know. (laughs) It's very Beatles-ish, which makes sense. Yeah, I guess I didn't notice that that part wasn't in the original. Yeah, the overlapping vocals, because, yeah, mainstream is full of them. Yeah. Yeah, It's a very interesting song. And, you know, Ringo, I don't feel like Ringo gets enough credit uh, as a drummer or as a songwriter. He's, He's just such... And it's he's just such a pleasant guy. Like I think there just maybe there hasn't been enough. Uh, you know, it, no one has anything bad to say about him, and maybe that has That's worked against him. Right? No, he's he's just too likable. <laughs> he's just yeah, he's a goofball. There's there's no controversy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like but, that's almost you could say the same thing kind of about they might be giants is that they don't really have this rock and roll persona. They're not like you know, big bombastic characters or like, 
you know, capital A artists, you know, like they don't wear berets and uh, Mm -hmm. play acoustic guitar in the park. You know, it's just like they're just normal people. Like Ringo kind of just seems like a normal dude who you want to hang out with Mm -hmm. and, you know, drink and call people boogaloos. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. They they just kind of yeah may, maybe they're the reviewers would have made more sense of them at the beginning is yeah if if their dress their 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 stage dress was more bizarre but instead they quote dress like their dads so yeah when you when you see your dads playing these these goofy little songs you'd be like oh that's so silly you wouldn't be like wow man that dad <laughs> up there he's really uh taking some chances with these weird songs dad's out there right now mm-hmm. and but they weren't also wearing you know pleather pants and uh shirts unbuttoned down you know yeah to reveal that's like ch- <laughs> but again it's like if they were you would re they would be assessed in a totally different way because it was like if you really think of them as being like a avant-garde performance art out of like the punk scene in new york like they don't look like that but that's where they're right. from that's where they were performing and like among those people they probably did look weird because they looked normal so it was like an yeah, inversion right, yeah. <laughs> they were like weird for the weird but then like right. removed from that environment it's just like oh that's just like your uncle he's wearing like a flannel shirt and playing a bass clarinet right mm-hmm. right <laughs> right you see a picture of him in a newspaper or whatever and they're just like these guys are kind of kind of lame looking i don't know this doesn't look too exciting but yeah it was i like yeah the weird against the weird right they were yeah uh, yeah they were the the flip side of that coin in the weird art scene because they were in an art scene they were you know they were playing you know galleries and playing with you know with the butthole surfers so they were kind of towing the line on both sides of that in the punk scene and the art scene uh yeah, they just never really fit in, but I think that's why they they speak to so many of us, you know, us kids growing up that that didn't feel like we fit in, and they just seemed like those those guys. They weren't trying too hard to be weird. They were just kind of outsiders because that was just who they were. And I think all of us that considered ourselves outsiders were like, these guys are like me, right? And they weren't they weren't like so they weren't cool in like the conventional cool sense, but they also weren't like cool in the anti-cool like where like nirvana you know like we're so we don't care and then you've kind of like come back around to well you're just cool again right you've just you've inverted it but it's the same thing on the other side they're just in the middle they're Mm -hmm. just like whatever we're here we're making (laughs) we're making weird stuff yeah yeah and yeah i mean and it is kind of admirable i think to to be just so focused on your music and not really worry about um. Yeah, putting on some sort of persona or something like that. Not to say that they didn't um, put effort into their live shows too. Though you know they always had. Yeah, they never they never had weird dress, but they would you know put a roll of carpet on their heads or whatever, or right, like bring have, out the stick, right, or the stick, or have you know this random dude, you know William Allen White's head just in the background. You know they were bringing yeah props and backgrounds and stuff like that. Puppets. But the right. Right, but the whole uh, stage wear was was the part they didn't really care about. It's it's kind of funny that that was the one part that they um, 
just left aside that they didn't didn't bother to 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 come up with some weird costumes to go with their weird voices that they would do. Right. You know, they'll put on characters for the audio, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't dress up as characters. It's kind of, it's kind of funny when you think about that. Where they draw the line with that. Hmm. Uh, so have you have you ever been to uh, Main Street USA at Disneyland or Disney World? I have been to Main Street USA. I did not flip yeah. any guys the bird. I know it makes me think like you know if they kept it as Main Street, and you know you're flipping off you know Mickey and it's Goofy up, yeah or whatever else that would be. In in front of the children, <laughs> I do Come think on, I guys. do think flip that guy the bird is such a funny like cute thing to say as like a form of rebellion. Like uh-huh. it's very it's very not strong. It's not like hey fuck you. It's I'm gonna flip that guy the bird. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the bird. I don't know where that terminology came from. Um, that's yeah, <laughs> that's an interesting one. So yeah, Main Street USA. I mean, do you? I mean, it seems like a pretty clear reference to that. Do you think? I think so. Yeah, it it was so it was the it was the first themed area of the 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 Disney parks. Which now these days, I mean, I haven't been in a long time, but aren't there just like all these little quadrants of the park that are all different themes? became like a big part of the how the whole place looks right uh i would not be the person to ask that uh yeah. but never sounds like it yeah the last time i went to disney i was at i went to a wedding like at a disney one of the wedding. like resorts but we didn't really go to the park so oh, i haven't okay. been to the park in you know many many years mm-hmm mm-hmm no, Disneyland opened in 1955. When did Main Street USA start? It sounds like it was in the 50s, so it's been around forever. That old-timey Main Street USA. I mean, really, just come to any Indiana small town. And just <laughs> some, you know, experience some real Main Street USA. Yeah. I kind of wonder if the song was like, like Main Street USA uh, and Mainstream USA just sort of... Talking about this nostalgia for small towns in the 50s and things like that. Like, it feels like, I feel like a lot of songs, maybe primarily like Flansburg songs, kind of feel like they are modeled in that style of 50s garage Mm. rock or 60s too, but like in a sarcastic way, like kind of like with this underlying current of like, but that wasn't so great. Like, you're kind of... We have this optimism mm-hmm. or like this, we remember it fondly, but really there was all this, this bad stuff too. Yeah. I, I, I guess the other way you could take it, the main, main street USA would be, you know, in some small town flipping off some, uh, some hillbillies or something like that. <laughs> or, I mean, the way they, as mainstream USA, I mean, it, maybe this is like their, their, you know, their, their theme song of like, you normal people that listen to that mainstream music, you don't get it. We're flipping you the bird. This is our, this is, we're going to come up with this weirdest song about, uh, you know, just saying, you know, fuck that mainstream shit. I also, for some reason, this song made me, makes me think of um, Youth Culture Killed My Dog, 
which mm. just also seems just like you know reactionary to you know the popular mainstream thing where it's like the thing that everyone likes or but and then also there's like youth culture is like a dangerous thing right like rock and roll the kids are rebelling uh so i don't know i feel like there's some connection to this song <laughs> oh yeah the, we didn't mention the quote in the uh the ice newsletter which is where you go for cd news or something like that i think is what the, oh, what the, yeah. the clip says it's been a pinata for the band ever since a producer told us that it was an example of how obtuse and unlistenable our material can be. A pinata for the band. So like the the whipping boy. Okay. Is, that, is that what you're going for here? I want to know which producer said that. Yeah. I, I mean and I mean in the big I mean this track they would have just produced themselves. But I guess someone further down the road heard it. Uh, it was just like the prime example of like the out there bizarre type of thing that they were into. The producers would be like, yeah. don't do that. <laughs> Rain that in. <laughs> yeah. Just, just leave that one on the cutting room floor. Uh, the, the, the lyrics at the beginning, um, I don't know if I just never bothered to look in the, uh, cause the, then, then the early years booklet does have the lyrics in it. Right. But I, I never bothered. This was like I knew every single lyric to like every single song on this except this beginning part. And really, I hadn't even paid much attention to it until I started prepping for this episode. But this, as I rode the subway this morning, there was a man with a book beside me. And he tapped out rhythms with a smile on his face and the, and the tip of his finger that he found on the floor. And these are the words that he told the fellow next door. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> that almost, I mean, it almost, that part of it seems like it could almost be a song. Like there's, there are parts in that that sound like song lyrics that could have developed into something more sensible, but they're just sort of scattered. Like it just seems like something you kind of jotted down a bunch of lines and we're going to come back mm-hmm. to it later and be like, oh, there's something in there. But rather than that, they just were like, nope, that's it. That's the song. Put something about yeah, we are the world in the there, and then it's done. <laughs> yeah, it really seems like it's it's two songs mashed together, at least all in <laughs> in barely over a minute, right? Yeah, and the tip of his finger that he found on the floor. So we got well, I, I guess the one the the connection there is we got stuff about fingers in both of them, right? Is the is it the tip <laughs> of his middle finger? Did he flip right. that guy the bird, and then that guy cut it right off? Cut his middle finger off. I think trying to make logical sense of this song is uh, not the mm. way to go. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know what? In, in, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. I, I was just going to say, in that Indianapolis Star article, I was really interested to see that they talked about Frank Sinatra because... Oh, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there, I feel like there's some overlaps elsewhere in their careers where they played like some Sinatra songs or they have songs that are like stylistically influenced by like Great American Songbook and Tin Pan Alley and stuff. And some of this song, I think, does sound like that as well. Like, Can I Have This Last Dance, My Darling, does sound like a very old-timey American Songbook thing to say. Definitely. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the big orchestra swell comes up right after that. Yeah. Huh. I, I also noticed that this is one of the... Very few songs that I've done an episode on where no one no one attempted 
to tab out the guitar part on this song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, I don't know how you could, but I, I'm kind of surprised that in the whole nerdy fandom that we have that no one gave that a shot. Frankly, I'm disappointed. <laughs> yeah. It is a little, it's in, a little surprising. The, just because there's so much material, like on the wiki especially, too. It's like one of the few omissions. Yeah. I wonder if, now I'm curious. I'm going to see if the big, big Hordum has a guitar tab. It's just all the free, the freehand guitar is untabbable. So, so I noticed, okay, you can click on it, but then it just says it's in the key of D major. It says, there's not an actual tab. It just says, it's rather simple, actually, <laughs> because you just strum the guitar in time with the music. No chords, just strumming. Enjoy. Perfect. <laughs> I mean, it it sounds like, I mean, in that one, it almost sounds like he's just not fretting anything, really. That's what the... But just kind of... That tab yeah. sounds like it's trying to tell you to do. Yeah. So, so but but to contrast that, Mainstream USA is Linnell, you know, he's shredding. He's really shredding. Yeah. <laughs> I actually... But I do like that he was able to repeat, like, his phrases. Or is it chopped up, do you think? That, like, are they taking that little did it, did it, did it, and, like... I don't know. And, and looping it? I I had a very brief idea of trying to cover this song, but make it like really metal. And that like, like that would fit into that style. But then I was just like, I don't know what else to do after that. So I'm going to let somebody else handle that. It does seem like that could work like that. Yeah. Down tune it real heavy. Yeah. Totally could work. So we'll we'll throw that out to the listeners here. If anyone can make that happen, please. Uh, I'll I'll put it on the Bandcamp. <laughs> yeah, Linnell playing the guitar. I'd like to see. So they've never done this song live, obviously, but wouldn't that be something if they decided to do? You know, let's say in 2027 they decide to do a 30th anniversary tour of the Then Come. Wow. <laughs> That's a tough Get sell on guitar. <laughs> I mean, the diehard fans would love it for sure. Oh man, I you know so many people I've talked to that this this compilation was such a big part of their listening um, for the band and and for me too. Like it was, it was the first time I had even owned the you know the debut or the Lincoln tracks for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was just a little harder to find you know, in, in my neck of the woods, be able to find a CD of just Lincoln or whatever, you know, it was easier to get the Electra ones. Um, so yeah, they were, they were definitely smart to put out that, that collection. Cause I, from what I can tell, it seems to have sold pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I was always, I was like vaguely aware of the band for a long time, but it honestly wasn't until like 2004, probably that I got this album. And like really mm-hmm. got into them. You got some some cops coming to get you there in the background. Sounds hey, like. it's New York City, constant New York City. Yeah, I get. I I had forgotten to ask you that. So another New Yorker. I you New York guys. I I've I've been toying with the idea of of uh, doing a live show in New York at some point because it just seems to make sense. There's just it's just like it's the it's hub. The center. They might be Giants fans. That's that's why you moved there, I'm guessing, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> or are you from? I'm from New York. I'm from New York. Yeah, 
Okay. But it's why I stayed Bo- for sure. No. <laughs> Born and bred. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, there's, there's, there is just something magical about the windy apple. Oh, no. uh, sure. <laughs> uh, I think that's Simpsons reference. Sometimes I don't even know anymore. <laughs> I don't even know anymore. But yeah, you were talking about um, covering this one. I was extremely surprised to find. Two covers. Extremely surprised. I was like, there's not going to be anything. <laughs> and when I found two of them, I was flabbergasted. I was speechless. Um, should we move on to the covers or anything? The song is just like such a weird little slice of their history. It's it's almost... It's, it's hard to break down. Like, you can't break it down... You know, theoretically, like music theory wise, like I do with so many songs. Yeah. Just because it's so freehand nonsensical. <laughs> yeah. Freehand music theory. I guess the one thing I, I, right. I do want to say about it is I want to, you said something about how it basically kind of sounds like two songs, you know, like mm. on top of each other simultaneously alternating. Like in some way, it's just, it's, it's kind of chaotic and like incomprehensible at times. And, this is going to sound way too pretentious, uh, but you could really think <laughs> of this it. song as being representative of the band. Like that the band sure. is these two things. They are kind of, they write really good pop songs and they do these weird experimental things. Sometimes at the same time, sometimes like some songs fit more in one camp than the other, but that's like what they're all about is just combining Mm-hmm. the the normal and the experimental and really like exploring and always they're always doing something new which i think is what has been so interesting to follow them for so long like you you mm-hmm. don't get bored of that they're not just cranking out the same you know pop punk hits every album right it's a very uh, sustainable method of uh being a band just uh always up for trying anything keeping the listener on their toes um and i do appreciate that they they will release things like this that this one is probably not the most successful experiment but it's still like it's a part of it it's like that's what experimenting is like sometimes you Mm -hmm. write mainstream usa and sometimes you write dr worm (laughs) i know just like People would not believe you, you know, if you told them that was the same band, like people unfamiliar with them. Yeah. Be like, no, there's no way. While, you know, Dr. Worm, there was a great deal of work that went into that one. While Mainstream USA, uh, they probably kicked out in like, I mean, they probably wrote it right as they were recording it. It's what it sounds like. Maybe after. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, you could put in a ton of work on something and it could come out terrible. Or you can hit record and a great, amazing, perfect thing tumbles out and you're like, wow, that was that was awesome. So yeah. it's it's hard to like fault. You can't be like, well, they just didn't try. You know, they just there was no thought put into this. It's like, no, this is part of the process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also love the, the production value on it. It definitely just sounds like guys in a room. You know, and I, I also love the the flip that guy, the bird. There's like something that happens with like I don't know if he's if he's clipping, you know, the tape there or something. Oh yeah, There's something about the about the. There's some real like distortion starts, on that. Yeah, I love that. I mean, this is like. Well, there's the so the recording 
that you sent me, the Dial of Songs one, I don't think it has that distortion in that spot, but it has mm. more noise to it. Like it might be the recording that was on the tape machine, like the answering machine. Right. Because it has mm-hmm. like this big tape hiss to it. But I don't think it has that strong uh, peaking like on his voice. Yeah. I'm wondering if they, I don't know, like doing, I wonder if they remixed anything before then the earlier years. I'm, I'm kind of assuming that they didn't, but it, it would be funny if I don't, it, <laughs> If Flans did have, you know, the the master tapes right. from Mainstream USA, you know, he'd filed these away with their most important documents. They're at the Library of Congress. Could, right, right. That he could go and, and you know, remix the, the lead vocals with the backup vocals and, you know, put a little extra zest on that, that bird to get that, that grit on it. <laughs> Uh, you know, we really t- took some time, you know, it's the, the remix remaster of <laughs> mainstream USA. I do like the idea of remastering <sighs> it to add more distortion. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not weird enough. Yeah. Let's fuck it up even more. I was, I was mentioning that on a, a fairly recent episode about how they don't put out, they haven't put out remastered or like deluxe issues of anything Mm. like like flood's 30th anniversary like they came out with like the picture disc and stuff like that but no like i was i'm saying there's 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 gotta be demos of these tracks now this one this bit this is the demo like there's no there's no other version of this one um but what if they flipped it and did re-recorded versions? You'll see some bands do that where they'll, where they'll re-record some of their old songs. Mm-hmm. What if they attempted to make Mainstream USA uh, cleaner? Would that ruin it? I think it would. <laughs> I was going to save this yeah. uh, for the covers, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I do think a lot of the charm of Mainstream USA is that it's so lo-fi and so... Uh, poorly recorded and poor, like weirdly performed and not polished. Like if it sounded really good, you would just go, "Well, this isn't a good song." Right? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> this is just fucked up. Instead of man, this is fucked up. Yeah. So I I, I guess you have that as a point to uh, to one of the covers. So how about we segue into into that? Sure. So the the first one that I found. It was on a Bandcamp by, so it's en, Ensenada1.bandcamp.com. Ensenada is, is the artist from Santa Clarita, California. And the it's called May 2021 Demo Tape Number 2. So it, 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 is this also you? It came out the same time as your... Master's thesis. Is this also you wearing a wig on the picture there? I cannot say <laughs> whether or not it is. But I have never been to Santa Clarita. Is that where it was? Santa Clarita, California. Yeah, so I'll I'll drop in this Ensenada track here. Mm-hmm. 
this one, it's almost like he tries to outdo the low finest of the original, which is hard to do. Yes. <laughs> this one is bizarre. This one, to me... It's like barely there. And there's like all this dead air at the beginning. I thought, looking at the picture, that this was going to be like in like an ancient demo tape that they unearthed, you know, from decades ago. And they were like, oh, I recorded this thing. But it was recorded like a few months before that. It's like a current modern recording and it sounds terrible. <laughs> like this was clearly an intentional artistic choice to make like a super lo-fi, weird, scratchy sounding recording. Yeah, and I skipped through a couple of the other tracks, and they are all kind of of this quality. But it's got to be intentional, right? Yeah, like, I when I was listening to this, I was like, is this like, you know, when you listen to, like, Captain Beefheart or something, and you're like, are these mm-hmm. people geniuses, or are they just insane, right? Right. Like, it's, it's could be one or the other, maybe it's both. So, un- unknown. I like the use of the slide guitar. I mean, that's definitely one way of getting around, you know, figuring out the whatever the hell Linnell was actually playing. Yeah. And just instead of the do-do-do-do-do-do, it's just... Just kind of sliding up. Yeah, I think that works. I don't know. It sounds like standard tuning, you know, just kind of sliding up the fretboard. And it, 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 it... you know, I think this is successful in a way in, in capturing, while, while not being it, like a good cover, it's not a note-for-note note replica of the original, which would in this case be almost harder, right. uh, but it, it's, it captures the spirit of it while giving it its own weirdness. Yeah, I think that that's fair. Um, I do like that we found that you found these two covers and they're basically polar opposites of one another. Mm-hmm. And they take what, you know, like if we're saying that they might be giant song is sort of like two songs, a normal song and an insane song. And they kind of split those out and just run with it in both directions. Yeah. So this one goes yeah. in the total weird direction. Yeah. So now we're on SoundCloud, modern day Trobi- Trobirits. I don't know. Uh, but the the SoundCloud uh, link is not really anything. User dash eight four two eight six seven nine one zero. You know they really need to get a better URL. I don't. Got to work on their SEO. Right, but yeah, modern day Trobarits. I thought this was going to be called modern day Troubadours, but it's spelled weird, and it was a they might be giants yeah. reference. But then I couldn't figure out how to pronounce that either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, let me, I'll drop this one in here. As I rode the subway this morning, there was a man with a book beside me, and he tapped out the rhythms with a smile on his face, and the tip of his finger. That he found on the floor And these are the words that he told the fella next door Mainstream USA Did that guy the bird Mainstream USA It's all I wanna say Mainstream USA Did that guy the bird 
Mainstream USA, it's all I want to say. We are the world. We are the world. So I left a comment on this, hoping that they will see it and respond. I want them to to know that this is getting some play. Because it only has 40 plays on SoundCloud. And at least a few of those are us. Yeah. He basically just comes up with a normal chord progression for it, right? Yeah, they just they found a way to make this song sound pretty normal. Like, sounds yeah. like a song. It, you could make a, a tab of it if you wanted yeah, to. Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. But, it, so. Yeah. So do you, yeah, do you think it 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 uh, ruins the the original intent of the song? I don't know. I'm not like someone who is super like, oh, that's not what the artist intended. Like you're mm-hmm. growing against it. But I do I feel like once you turn this into a normal song, it's not a very good song. So to play a really straight <laughs> cover of it is makes it very apparent that you're like oh, this is interesting i guess uh skip like the most interesting thing about the song is that it's it's not straightforward and normal and right easy to understand yeah you remove that it sort of falls apart yeah i feel like you could you could perhaps build a really good song out of the the second half of this because it's i mean it sounds damn catchy the way this person does the I flip that guy the bird. Like those chords really do support that melody a lot better than John Linnell's playing yeah. did. But I, I feel like if you, yeah, if they had written a whole other, you know, pop, ver, you know, version of it, power pop version of it, full with drums and, and different verses and all this kind of stuff and pass it off as their own song, that it could be a good song. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it. I mean, it was it was a cool risk to take. No, I'm impressed. Yeah, I'm definitely almost, almost impressed not that they were able to yeah. make this into like a sensible, palatable sounding song. <laughs> Good on you, modern day Troberitz. Yeah, they, they like you said, they both took it in polar opposite directions. Uh, this modern day Troubadouritz <laughs> and uh, Ensenada, Ensalada. Uh, <laughs> I was I was shocked to find any covers of this, let alone two. I was right, yeah. I was I, this is not not one of the more popular songs in the catalog. I'm I'm imagining. Although I did, I, I had to so. fight off a bunch of other guests for this. I said, no, this one's mine. Yeah, <laughs> it was a battle to the death. Uh, I'm gonna search SoundCloud for Big Big Horton. Let me see if anything comes up. It's probably just gonna come up with a bunch of other songs that have a whore in the title. You know, as they do. Uh, she's coming up with a bunch of rappers that have Big in their name. Nice. Big Big Sean. Big Rod. Big Fruit. Big Fruit, yeah. <laughs> Good. Lil Bit, produced by Big Fruit. Yeah, Lil Bit and, and Big Fruit. Hmm. 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 Yeah, some of these other songs I've had to just, you know, kind of convince people to make covers of like like chip the chip a much more palatable song had no covers to it until my guest jordan d white did one and frequent cover artist noah did one for the show whereas mainstream usa somehow had two covers (laughs) (laughs) but chip the chip the chip is like relatively new that is true this does have the, the benefit of time but um maybe that's worse though this song is so old that it would have like it it wasn't 
catchy or sensible enough for people to latch onto it right away and would have just gotten buried mm-hmm. under like 40 other albums after that. It's hard, right. hard to say. Yeah. So this modern day one that that, that they put that on SoundCloud 5 years ago, but the, I mean the Ensenada one, that was that just came out a year ago. They just put that out a year ago. So it was it was That's interesting. Very recently and they're like, "You know what? I'm not going to cover one of those new ones." I'm going to dig way back. So maybe this is a sign that this song is finally getting its due. Like it's, it's on the way up. (laughs) They're going to start playing it live. It could happen. Come on guys. Petition, you know, right. Throw it in the mix on the, on the flood tour. When you, when you kick it back, I mean, weirder things have happened in their live shows. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Give Linnell the guitar. (laughs) The crowd is just clamoring for it. (laughs) Well, I think it's time to score this song. This is a this is a weird one to score. Yeah. I thought about what do, this. What do, you, but what do you think? I as as <laughs> as a song, just straight up, do I think this is a good song? How would I score it out of ten? Uh-huh. I would give yeah. it like a three. But <laughs> as a as an idea as part of the mix of like experimentalism and weirdness and just, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy that it exists. I enjoy that it, there's mm. like a compilation of all of these songs. And, uh, you know, I think it overall it's very cool, but as a song, it's not a great song. <laughs> right so uh, so are you giving it what did you say a three i think a three okay yeah on on the wiki out of 910 songs it's 857 oh yeah that's that's pretty yeah. low yeah that, that is extremely low but like you said like i'm glad that they put it out it's not like ugh, they should have just thrown that one straight in the trash like i don't i don't skip it when i listen to then I I never have. I just think it's an interesting little time capsule of, you know, just like the Johns fucking around in Flansburg's apartment because they needed needed to dial a song track for that week. Exactly. Yeah, they're like so (laughs) prolific in that era, especially where it's like, yeah, most of those songs are probably bad. You know, like the, the really good ones kind of float to the top and then maybe got fleshed out and put on albums or some were just Mm -hmm. like abandoned but i really like and i appreciate that they still presented the rest of them they weren't they're not one of those bands that's so precious that they're like you know they don't want to show you the the weird crap that didn't really pan out Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah agreed i think i'm gonna go a little bit higher than you i think i'm gonna go a 4.2 just because i mean i feel like yeah, any lower than it's like skippable worthy. Okay. At least as far as my my scoring goes. Um yeah, I I am glad that it exists because it shows that truly the weirdest side of the Johns and and the the truly just freakish things that they could come <laughs> up with like just you know, the, the 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 furthest depths of that weird part of their brains uh just splat out on on tape. Yeah, what's the lowest you've ever gone? Uh, let's see. Let's go to. Are the we approaching 
score sorter. Uh, On Earth, my Nina is the lowest at a three point five. Okay. Yeah. We're not we're not too far off, but no, it's close to the lowest. Okay. Yeah, it. Uh, what did I say? Four point five. It tied uh, Dan versus Cog. Okay. For second lowest. <laughs> Good info. <laughs> yep. 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 Uh, should we play, uh, I think we should play one of your, your tracks off your accompanying album to your, uh, your whole thesis and podcast sure. and all that. Um, so the Bandcamp address is Scott making sense, sense as in money, money. Uh, and the album is exactly the title of your master's thesis. The Apparent Bias Against Comedic Popular Music, which is a very catchy album title. Right. I must say. <laughs> I thought so. If you want to go by the full thing, it's the apparent, po- the apparent Bias Against Comedic Popular Music by Scott Greenberg by Scott Making Sense. <laughs> and it's the cover is just a screenshot of my title page of my thesis. People thought I was joking when I, uh, like I posted the cover. They were like, oh, cool, you're putting out yeah. an album. This is a joke, though, right? Like, you're going to post the real thing later? I'm like, no. Nah. Nope, that's it. <laughs> nope, that's, that's it. The one. Uh, so, what what song should we play? Oh, um, that's a great question. Why don't we play Celine Dion covers? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's play Celine Dion covers. It'll be a fucking riot. Her stupid pop melodies are such a joke to me It's all coming back to me tonight Let's play Celine Dion covers It'll be such a laugh Her diamond selling album, let's talk about love It's full of dumb songs too I get it's almost like uh, me first in the gimme gimme style, a little bit. Uh, yeah. Oh man, good fun. I also liked it. So I I did not listen to, I have not yet listened to your other uh, your newer album, Jorts Songs for Jorts People. That <laughs> which does seem like a Fat Records reference. Is and would I be correct there? Short songs for short people. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. It was that album. It's not. It's kind of like a collection. It's a bunch of weird, unreleasable nonsense. Um, like short songs. It's your mainstream USA's. Yeah, it kind of is. Uh, <laughs> instead of dial a song, though, it's like TikTok songs. It's just like all of okay. the weird, like little short songs that I wrote for like social media or other small projects. Gotcha. This song is not an NFT. Exactly. <laughs> I like that. It's for the people. It's not exclusive. Yeah. So, um people should go check out 
scottmakingsense.bandcamp.com and the Seriously Funny Music Podcast is available on all of the podcast platforms. Uh, and it's 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 a good listen. Not the, not just the They Might Be Giants one, but but all of the ones. And do you want people to find you on social media? Yeah, probably the best place to follow me is on Twitter at Scott Making Sense, and that's sense like money. Uh, and I'll post there any of my upcoming projects. And I do have one more plug that I think people will be interested in. And do it. I am. There's going to be a They Might Be Giants compilation that I am a part of, and it's being put together by um, Beautiful Rat Records, and it's for charity. I don't know which charity yet. In the past, they've done it for Trans Lifeline, um, but they usually reach out to the bands first to see if the bands have a preferred charity. So a bunch of artists are going to be contributing songs to that. I did a cover of Rhythm Section 1 ad. Man, beautiful rat records. I thought I knew all of the people that were in the TMBG uh, covers album game. Ah. But I guess we found a new one. Yeah, so that one, I think it comes out September 20th. Okay. Again, follow me on Twitter and you'll I'll post about it when that's out. Cool. Um they they also put out a short music for short people uh reference album here it doesn't look like it's a cover of that yeah oh i was hoping it was a straight up 101 (laughs) covers of those songs (laughs) oh that's okay that's okay yeah and i cool so yeah beautiful rat records uh dot com it looks like you can find them once that comes out yeah yeah so you can find this might be a podcast at all the places. Everyone knows where to find me, I think. But hey, if you want to leave a rating or review on wherever you listen to your podcasts, that would be cool too. And I'm always looking for voicemails. That's 224-801-2930. Or you can email me, this might be a pod at Gmail. Scott, thanks so much for being on uh, and sharing your your big brain knowledge of they might be giants uh, and the apparent bias against them. Hey, no problem. <laughs> Thank you. Mainstream USA. It's all I want to say. Mainstream USA. I flip back out of the bird. Mainstream USA. It's all I want to say. say.